This is the Employee Experience in Education podcast, the teacher retention podcast for school leaders, and I'm your host, Eric Brainstetter. In this podcast, we'll speak with educational leaders, former educators, and industry experts to better understand the employee experience in education. Our goal is to equip school leaders with realistic and actionable strategies to keep more teachers in the classroom. On this episode, we'll speak with researcher, speaker, and author Zach Mercurio. Today, Zach shares his work around mattering and its profound impact in the workplace. Zach also shares his notice, affirm, and need framework to help people feel like they matter, what happens when we get mattering wrong for adults and students, and the skills that leaders need to authentically connect with their employees and avoid creating experiences of anti-mattering. Hey, Zach, thanks so much for joining us today. Can't wait to hear about the research that you're doing around this topic of mattering. But before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and who should be paying attention today? Anybody who influences anybody should be paying attention today. Uh, I think one of the great deceptions of the last 50 years has been that an individual's well-being is up to themselves. Um, If I were to like paint a graph right now of self-help books published in the last 20 years and the nation's mental health, you would see it's an inverse relationship. Um, And I think that we have to start seeing well-being as a community effort, a community endeavor. And if you're a leader and you have architecture over an environment, you have even more power to create environments that cultivate well-being for people and enable it. So I think that's who should be paying attention today. A little bit about me is I, I get to research, teach, talk about, write about how people come to experience meaningfulness in life, in work, in school. And uh, I've been doing that for the past decade. Um, and that that path of doing that came from experiencing purposelessness myself very early on in my career. And then working in higher education with students, figuring out their careers and, and seeing the pressures uh, on them. And then those students going out and going into organizations and saying, we need more of this meaningfulness in these organizations. And then that's led to me now doing work in in organizations as well as teaching and researching. That's great. So you said you started out by having a job that you felt purposeless in. What, What does it feel like to be purposeless? Well, I'll give you a example. Uh, I would wake up every morning on Monday mornings and then go into the office and invariably the first conversation would be, what did you do last weekend? Or what are you doing this weekend? Uh, And a a signal of purposelessness is living for two sevenths of your life. The days that begin with the letter S. I think that's a good sign. If your favorite days begin with the letter S, there may be an absence of everyday purpose. It's not that rest and rejuvenation and time is, isn't important. It is, it's, but um, it's about 27% of your life most people live for. Um, and being purposeless also is this, you live in this if-then argument. Like, if I get to the weekend, then I'll be rested. Uh, if I get through this quarter or semester or term, then we'll be good. If I get through the start of the year, then everything would be great. If I get my students to get this test score, then things will be good. Um, and the problem, of course, is you always get to the then. And then what? You know, Monday always comes. Uh, so it's a roller coaster 
strategy of well-being and motivation. So that's what that's what it felt like to me. We were I was in meetings where people would just talk about how to get as much out of people as possible versus the people themselves. And and you could just you could just feel it. And uh that's what it feels like. That's what it looks like to me. Well it's interesting because what you said is you're you're trying to chase happiness. And happiness is always that next thing away. So there's so much of, of life and joy that you're missing not being present in the moment. If you're always looking for something else, like you mentioned the NFL stuff, only when this happens am I going to be happy, which means you're projecting out all the time and not able to live in the present moment. Right. And when it comes to purpose, if I were to ask everybody in the audience, think of the last in the last month, which moment has given you the greatest sense of purpose? Um, no one would say like, when I got my direct deposit or when I made it through the day, or when I got my promotion, or when my kids got these their test scores, uh, you know, uh, most people would talk about contributing to someone else. But if I were to ask everybody in the in the audience right now, how many of you all have asked yourself which moment has given me the greatest sense of purpose in the last month? You know, maybe one or two would say they've asked themselves that. But if I were to say, hey, uh, how many of you all thought about something you're stressed out about in the last month? Everybody would say yes. And we have this we have this imbalance where the very things that give us energy to respond to the things that are stressing us out, we don't strategically think about, which is our purpose, our why, who we're doing it with, our contribution, the very things that we know result in fulfillment, motivation, engagement. Um, so being purposeless is thinking, hey, what do I have to do today? Being purposeful is saying, hey, how is what I'm going to do today going to impact other people? Um, and I, and I didn't have that in that first job, I couldn't see that. So that like the bigger reason for what I was doing, it did have a reason, but the environment I was in created many barriers to being able to see my own significance. So I think, I think about my, I'm a former principal myself. I think about some of those different professions where there is a lot of purpose. There's a lot of, of mattering that happens. The, The work of an educator matters, right? It's meaningful. It's purposeful but it's also exhausting and it's stressful and it's overwhelming. So education is that way. Healthcare is that way. How, how can leaders support employees that are doing purposeful work, but maybe, you know, they're not able to thrive. They're not able to even survive at times. What's that balance look like for leaders? Mm. You have to make sure that people know what they're surviving for. You know, uh, one of the things in the pandemic that I noticed was that the the, the organizations I worked with that really did thrive through the pandemic. And I say that in a way of they were able to grow through the challenge versus succumb to the challenge. Uh, they didn't ask the question, how am I going to get through this? They started with the question of who needs me to get through this. And it's a big reframe because purpose when activated is a powerful pulling force. It it pulls us through difficult circumstances. You know, I know amongst many school leaders, the book by Angela Duckworth called Grit is really popular, right? Passion and perseverance, what creates perseverance over time. And one of the things she found that's sort of buried in the book that was really one of the only significant predictors of high grit grit scores across every population was having a sense of purpose outside the self. 
Um, when we look at resilience, right, uh, one of the, the the most foundational aspects of resilience is being able to have a sense of purpose outside the self. When we look at burnout, one of the things that's often talked about is burnout would be prevented if everybody just had a manageable workload. But what people don't point out is that studies repeatedly shown that the top two mitigators of burnout are intrinsic motivation for the work, purpose, and social support each other. Um, and so purpose, right, when activated, can serve as a pulling force. But here's the, here's the difference. There's a big difference between having purpose and being purposeful. You can have purpose as a school leader. It's educate people. It's clear. But over time, you can stop approaching your work as purposeful. You know, and, and stop seeing the so that. Like I work with trauma surgeons that have a meaningful job to save people's lives that don't experience meaningfulness in their job anymore. Um, so being purposeful is contribution-centered thinking, being, and doing. It's different than, you know, I'm not telling anybody out there right now, just go out and help people more, give them themselves more because I'd be back doing a like podcast on compassion fatigue. Um, what it is, it's the lens through which we look at what we're doing. One of my favorite stories that shows this is that I worked with a group of custodians at work at a university. One of our first research studies, we embedded ourselves with this group of custodians for a year and a half, trying to figure out what contributes to purposefulness in work. This is a tough job. You want to talk about burnout? Uh, I saw students throw pieces of trash in front of custodians, look at them and keep walking by. That's every day scraping away at people's sense of self-worth. And we asked all of them, what's the most meaningful part of your job? And I'll never forget that. One of the custodians said, oh, it's when I clean the bathrooms in the university dormitories every Monday morning. And I said, what? That sounds gross. And she said, well, because I hate it so much, I say to myself, every time I go in there, I'm cleaning this bath bathroom so that these kids don't get sick. And what we find is that people who um, experience high levels of purpose within difficult circumstances tend to repeatedly have that so that mindset towards what they're doing. So if I'm a teacher that's burnout right now, or I'm a school administrator, because administration turnover is about 17, 18% right now. Is that something that I can just frame for myself? Can I keep in mind the so that, or is that something that I will need some additional supports to be able to persist and thrive in that environment? Well, I think there's a couple of things the individual can do, right? I think that, you know, reframing that so that, I mean, put who needs you somewhere where you can see it every day. I mean, what is your purpose? Uh, where do your strengths make a unique impact? What's the impact you want to make? Do you look at that every day? before you start your day? Or do you ask yourself everything, everything that you have to do today? Like imagine if the voice in your head was a motivational speaker. Um, the, sometimes the narrative is extracts our energy and we don't even know it. Um, when you get stressed out and you're about to, to lose it, right? What do you do first? Do you remember that contribution? Do you read that purpose statement or, or is it in a filing cabinet somewhere? Cause you did, did it at a professional development conference, right? We have to put in our environment, the contribution we want to make to remember it, just like anything else that we have in our environment, just like the to-do list, just like the schedules. Um, and, and so that's one thing that individuals can do is to optimize their environment, to remind them of their significance. That so that mentality is critical, um, asking themselves better questions, right? Instead of what do I have to do today? How is what I'm going to do today going to impact others? Like going into that meeting, like how can I use my strengths to impact people? 
contribution is always accessible every day. And it's also very powerful in the long run. So the other thing though, is that if someone, you know, for a teacher, for example, it, if they, um, if they have a sense of purpose and they know their purpose, but they don't experience that they have purpose in the environment around them, it can be devastating. One of the most psychologically devastating things is when someone's been led to believe something and then their environment refutes it. I mean, one of the things that we see in education, uh, both at the student level and the teacher level, is an, an epidemic of anti-mattering. I mean, people feeling like they don't, they don't matter, uh, that they're not significant. Uh, you know, look at the student level. Um, there was a study by Education Week that came out of over 66,000 students from sixth grade through 12th grade. They asked them, do you think your teacher would notice if you were absent? And almost half the sample said no. I mean, and, and then you see like the noticing amongst each other. Like I've heard stories from teachers that people, I never get even a thank you from my peers, right? I, and people don't ask me how I'm doing. They start at telling me everything that's going wrong with them, right? And so uh, leaders, one thing that leaders can do is make sure that they're creating a culture that shows people the evidence of their significance regularly to bolster that protective resource. So I'm, I'm curious, one of the thoughts, one of my, one of my go-tos is teachers want to feel heard, supported, and valued. I know you talk about purpose, meaning, and mattering. I would love to hear, and you had no forewarning of this question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on heard, supported, and valued. Is that similar to what you see in the research? Is it different? What's the corollary there, if there is any, you think? Yeah. So let's talk about this creating an environment that shows people the evidence of their significance. Essentially, that's what that's called is mattering. Creating an environment where every person feels like they matter. And research shows that the three key practices that we can do for one another to ensure that people feel like they matter is to make sure people feel noticed make sure they feel affirmed and make sure they feel needed. So the herd piece, you know, what were your three again? Heard, supported, and valued. So herd, um, that is part of feeling noticed, feeling seen and heard, right? Feeling affirmed is feeling valued. And affirmed is more than just, I value you. It's here's how your unique strengths make a unique difference. Uh, and then the last is you feel needed. Do you feel irreplaceable and indispensable as a human being in your organization? So notice, affirm, and needed. So I think that those fit well in. I mean, being heard, valued, and supported fit into creating mattering for people. I will say the big problem is, is that everybody's listening is probably like, yeah, that's cool. Like, why are you two guys talking? Um, common sense is not common practice. Um, if you look at the statistics of teachers feeling valued or nurses feeling valued, uh, or let's just talk about the fact that research consistently finds that upwards of 80% of people say they don't get meaningfully recognized in their jobs across all jobs. 70% of people in a recent survey said that they weren't recognized meaningfully once in the last week, right? Uh, so um, there is a a dearth of the practice of creating mattering, but an excess of the intention to create mattering. And I think that what we need to realize is that great intention require 
great skill. Great intentions require great skills. And so the big, the, the big movement that I'm working on right now is how do we teach people the interpersonal skill set that's required to create repeatable experiences of mattering? Is, is that something that people don't have? Because you're right, common sense is not equal common practice. Why, why is there such a disconnect? Is It's skills, you're saying. People don't have the interpersonal skills to be able to do that. And that's probably create... So thinking through what they should be doing, I guess being aware that there is a need that needs to happen. And then I go back to, so I, as a former principal, I know how busy life is all the time. Is it a combination of skill and lack of resources, such as time? Is it mostly skill? Why, why is there that gap, you think? Yeah, I, I think that like if you look at your to-do list today, did check in on so-and-so make it on your to-do list, right? You know, like we, 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 t- we have processes for almost everything else in our organizations except the things that matter to people. Uh, and I think that what what has happened is is that and largely it's it's a societal idea of leadership that we've relied on like intuition to create good leaders. Like these people would just be good people, or or you're in education so you'd be a good leader, or you were a good teacher so you'll be a good leader, or you're a good person so you'll be a good leader. But intuition doesn't scale. You know, it's not repeatable. Uh, practices and skills do. Like I don't want my pilot to rely on their intuition to fly my plane. Um, I want them to rely on a checklist of skills to ensure that I'm safe. Um, the same is true, I think, with anybody who's responsible for where 35 people spend 35% of their waking lives at work. I think those people should have a checklist of skills to be responsible for making sure people feel safe, they feel heard, they feel valued, they feel noticed, affirmed, and needed. Um, and if I were to go in any school and I were to ask, hey, show me that the skill set for caring that all of your leaders are evaluated on and they learn. What do you, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not in schools a lot. What do you think that I would see? I mean, I'm shaking my head right now because I don't know that anybody's thought about it. Right. And it certainly right, hasn't been right. scaled. Like it's not, so it, it's one thing to have a conversation about it. Maybe an admin team meeting you're talking about, you know, taking care of your people. Maybe, maybe you're having conversations around teacher retention, but to break it down into here's what it looks like. Here's what it feels like. Here's what it sounds like. I don't know that anybody's doing that because it's hard work. It's hard. And that's the, and that's the gap though. And especially when they're, and especially, and we, especially when times are hard and busy, like we shouldn't focus on this. We shouldn't not focus on this because times are busy. We have a lot going on. We should focus on this precisely for the times that are busy. Because you need to focus, like when times are busy, you don't really have time to think. So you have to fall back on what? Usually a checklist. So if your team's burnt out, uh, when you're burnt out and your team's burnt out, we need to be able to fall back on something. That's why a pilot, one of a great book by Atul Gawande is called The Checklist Manifesto. That's why a pilot, when things are going wrong, they don't rely on having them remember everything they learned in their pilot training. They have a checklist. Okay, things are going well. Let me stop. Let me objective see what I need to do, what I've committed to doing, what I've learned how to do. When you have a team that's burnt out, I think we need the same thing um, when it comes to leadership. Uh, and that's developing the hard skills to care repeatedly in various circumstances. When I, when I hear your analogy of the pilot, to me, that's a, it's not simple to be a pilot, but I know that I have this problem. Here's the solution. I can fix that solution. I can, I can take care of that problem 
relatively quickly. When dealing with humans, I'm not going to be able to go over to somebody and tell them some magical words or push a button and they are in a much better place. So I'm curious how there are lots of starting points for this, right? Lots of starting points for the employee experience, for a positive school culture. If I'm a leader and I know I'm struggling with my people, where, where do I start? What's my beginning? Yeah. Great point. So yeah, humans are messier than airplanes, I'm sure. Uh, and at the same time, what I would say is like, for example, let's, let's, let's break this down. The noticing, affirming, and needing practices, noticing people. If you have someone who is struggling, making sure that not on your checklist, but in your skill set, that you have something in your resources to offer an action to alleviate that struggle, however imperfect it is. So like when someone's struggling, you're, you know, we often focus on empathy, but there's limits to empathy. I mean, empathy is trying to understand what you're going through. Compassion is offering an action to alleviate that struggle. Uh, and so knowing what resources, you, so, but you know, you can predict if you're a principal, like you can predict the struggles that your people will have and when they'll have them. I bet if you really sat down and did that, like you could really you could really map that out and you could say, and then you could say, what resources do I have to help alleviate that struggle at those points of time? And then you could say to yourself, when that struggle comes up, when I see that person struggling, I know I have this to offer them to alleviate that struggle. Like that's the skill of being compassionate. Like it's nice. You can go to a training or watch a TED talk on the importance of compassion, but until it becomes a skill, you're not compassionate. How can leaders then create experiences of mattering and connecting people back to purpose? Because I know that purpose is, has been driven through everything you've said so far. What, how do I create those connections among people? I think first, again, that noticing piece, like the compassion piece, but because you have to notice people to meaningfully affirm them. Because what doesn't work is saying thank you at the same time every day or having an awards banquet once a year. You know, we know that. Um what does work is you have to notice people. I mean, you have to be able to ask better questions. Like instead of how are you asking, what is your attention today? Right? What, what, what are things you're struggling with? Uh, what do you need help with? How can I help you? Uh, if I can't help you, who can I get to help you? Um, so I think you, asking better questions, I think doing regular check-ins on how people are doing, like how they're doing. One of the things we do with nurses is a, a stoplight check-in at the beginning of huddles. This is a high stress busy time that people don't have time to do this. And what's, what's cool about the mattering work is that it's not really about adding something else. It's about optimizing the time you already have with people. So like instead of a daily huddle with nurses where they go through and they go over what's clinically wrong in every room. Uh, one of the things we've had groups of nurses do is do a red, yellow, green check-in. Red means you're offline. Yellow means you're um, a little bit reactionary. Green means you're good. You're in flow. We just have them go around and say their colors, red, yellow, green. And what happens is really profound because uh, some of the people that we've interviewed after this have said that they have better conversations in the break room. And why is that? Because if I know that Eric was a red, do you think I'm going to go see Eric in the break room and think to myself, oh, Eric was a red in that meeting. I, I really hope he figures it out. Or am I going to say, hey, Eric, are you okay? So you actually like that awareness by checking in like that builds um, empathy and social support on a team, which again is a key mitigator of burnout. So I want to, I want to make that clear, like that noticing piece is really important 
to then affirming people because real affirmation is showing people how their unique gifts make a unique difference. So a couple of things you can do is if you say thank you to people, go one step further and don't just say thank you, but show them the difference that they make and how they make it. Um, so for example, describe when and where the exact situation that you're thanking someone for happened. Cause that means you become a noticer. You're not just the person who says, thank you at one o'clock every day, describe the behaviors. So like, here's what you did and here are some of the strengths that you had. And then describe the impact that had on you or someone else or a student or a fellow teacher and share that really vividly. Even you saying that I'm thinking back to, if you were to tell me, you know, pretend like you're my boss or you're my principal, I'm a teacher. If you just come up to me and tell me, Eric, I appreciated when you, this is why what you did was impactful. Here's how it impacted me. This is how it impacted your students. That is, that's near transformational because what I do on a daily basis as an educator is so every minute is planned out of every day. I know five steps in advance what I'm going to be doing. I don't often reflect back on you know, the, the wins that we've had. And I know school leaders don't always reflect back on the wins that we've had. And it's hard sometimes when you have these fires that are in front of you to be positive and to be reminded of the impact that you're, you're making. Like I, I, I felt literally uplifted as you were just explaining what to say and imagining myself as the recipient of that, but there being a real, like, here's what you actually did. I, I just felt uplifted just hearing you talk about it. Yeah, you you bring up a good point, especially in like helping professions. The good work can become routine work. You know, like it can, like I come in to talk to you an educator and I'm like, "Oh, wow, he's an educator. That's like amazing." For you or for someone listening, that's just what you do every day. "Hey, what'd you do today? Oh, I just got up and educated the future." You know. Seriously. I mean, it really becomes it can become routine and that's that's where your what and your why can start. Without these like little nudges, your what and your why can start splitting off. Where you focus on what do I have to do? How do I have to do it? And you don't cultivate the attention or provide people with the evidence of why it matters. And then you deplete the very energy people need and you need to respond to the things that are stressing you out in the first place, which is why you're doing it, who you're doing it with. That's that source of energy. That's the source of energy we have. We don't get energy from what we're doing. We get energy from who we're doing it with and why we're doing it. Um, and oftentimes we deplete that, but I will say, so that the affirmation piece, it, it can be even, even less structured than what I just said. It can be like, Hey, Eric, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, you spent some time with me, like explaining the audience, you're, you're really intentional and, and very clear. And one of the things that does as a podcast guest is it makes me feel more uh, comfortable. And if, if one person just takes one of these things away, because I felt more comfortable, it could change the trajectory of someone's life. So just want to thank you. Um, right. It can be like just something like that, uh, every day and it's powerful, but here's the thing. It's a skill and it's practiced. You can't get, just go out there and be like, all right, here is the situation here is, you know, it, you have to practice it like anything else, like, like anything else you do in a teacher licensure program. Right. I mean, you have to practice it. You have to hone it, how you do it, especially as a leader. So if we're noticing and we're affirming, What's next for us? What else can we do for the employee experience to help people feel like they matter? I would also say like part of the affirming piece is collecting and telling stories of the work's impact regularly, even when you don't think it's necessary. I think it's so critical, and I've seen this in healthcare, in a profession like yours, to never 
take the purpose for granted. Never just accept the fact that people know why they're there. Assume that it's everybody's first day every day as a teacher. Like assume that you're recruiting people to be a teacher every day. Uh, what would you tell tell them? You know, like well, because you you kind of are with teacher retention rates turnover extremely high. I need to remind people consistently. I love that perspective. I pretend like it's the first day. Continue that every day because for some it is, and it could be a time they're thinking about it being their last day. And, you know, how would you tell a six-year-old what it means to be a teacher and, or, or an educator and the importance of that? Um, I, you know, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And oftentimes, like, I work with a lot of different types of clients, a lot of different industries, a lot of cool jobs. And he thinks that every job is so cool. Like everything, everybody I'm talking to, whether they're putting mirrors on cars or they're teachers or they're doctors, like he thinks it's the coolest thing. And I've started to tell my clients, like, make sure your employees, like you talk to them, like as if you're describing your job to a six-year-old, um, because it's cool that like that amazing factor, like never take that for granted. So one way to do that is collect and tell stories of the work's real tangible impact on people, um, regularly. Uh, the other thing with affirming people is we can work on delegation better. Schools, I've noticed, have very repeatable processes. Like every year looks the same, objectively. <laughs> you know, it's like th there's all these like different milestones when I look at that schedule, right? You have to interrupt that because there are three like predictors for a meaningful task. One, people have to know its significance. People have to know its necessity what it's necessary for, and people have to know uh, how they can use their strengths to do it. So when you're talking about a task, instead of, hey, we got to get those reports done by next Friday, be like, hey, remember when we do this, here's the human being that it impacts. This is what it's necessary for. And you know, I know you all are really diligent people. I need you to use that strength to do it. Oh, by the way, can you get that to me by next Friday? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot different than being like, we got to do the reports again. Here we go again. Right. So that's another piece of affirming. And sorry, I'm getting stuck on the affirming piece. I know you wanted to move me on, but uh, it's really important. Like delegation, like how we talk about tasks, how we say thank you, the stories we tell, all of those things, again, are skills we can, we can learn. And, and the final piece of the mattering model is making sure people feel needed. Um, when people feel irreplaceable, they'll act irreplaceable. But when people feel replaceable, they will definitely act replaceable. And that's so profound. And it, it sounds simple at its core, but it goes back to what you said, that people aren't practicing the common sense. Common sense is not equal common practice. And words matter. Tone of voice matters. The sincerity behind what you're saying matters. This is a bit heavy, but I know Nelson Mandela once said that words are sometimes the difference between life and death. And when we look at the mattering research, uh, especially in like adolescence, when somebody tells someone that they're valued and that they're needed and that they're relied on and that they're important versus when nobody hears that, when somebody doesn't hear that, when someone thinks they're dispensable, no one relies on them. A lot of feelings of anti-mattering result in acts of desperation um, and withdrawal. Quiet quitting. Everybody's talking about quiet quitting. 
that's just a term for the inevitable withdrawal response to feeling like I don't matter. Uh, and I think we talked about this at the beginning. When someone doesn't feel like they matter, it's very easy for nothing to matter. If I'm a school leader, then I'm trying to figure out, you know, we've talked through some strategies of ways that you can help people feel like they matter and know that they do matter. Are there any kind of leading indicators uh, that I should be looking for in my teachers and my staff and my employees? How, how do I know if people feel like they matter or don't? Mm. Well, one of the things, and I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of times like in our assessments, they're like climate assessments or satisfaction assessments. So how satisfied are you with the climate here and your job? And um, are you receiving enough communication, which is no, nobody ever says yes. Um, and we do these things, but if you have the ability to add in some questions of um, to what extent do you feel like you matter to your supervisor, uh, you know, to, uh, um, and, and you could even get behavioral, like in the last, in the last month, how many times have you gotten affirmation of your work's impact? Uh, to what extent do you feel needed by the school? Right. Those things that, okay. And I will say, I will say this very flat out. Some of the data you'll get is going to be very hard to digest. And it's it's going to be hard to see it because uh, we've 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 done this. I've done this in organizations, not in schools, but I've done this in other organizations where you've gotten the assessment and people who thought people felt like they mattered weren't getting recognition. Um, they didn't, ha you know. Some people. One question is, in the last month, how often has a coworker checked in on you? How you're doing? Uh, those those types of questions. Some people report back. You know, 70% of people haven't had one person check in on them in the last month. But it's super hopeful, though, also, because these are really tangible skills that we can remind people to do through the systems that we create. And it doesn't actually take any more time. Like, there's nothing you, there's no initiative or program I need you to implement. It's just really optimizing the interpersonal interactions you already have with people to make sure they're noticed, affirmed, and needed. And assessing it makes it important, right? And I think that asking some of those questions, if you have a formal assessment to do that, is powerful. I think also any supervisor who supervises a group of people and they're one-on-ones, they should be asking, hey, like, tell me about what's been going on in the last couple of months. Are there any moments where you felt like you haven't mattered to me or to us? How likely are people to be honest so one on the assessment, so anonymous or not, and then two in a one-on-one, -on -one, do, does it take an environment where somebody is more likely to feel like they matter already to be honest? Or do you think if somebody brings up the question, if I'm vulnerable, I'm just going to say, I don't feel matter, like I matter. I think the key is to like talk about incidents. You know, there's a technique in interviewing critical incidents technique where you ask about incidents instead of like general feelings, especially in one-on-ones. Like, tell me about a time this month where you felt like you mattered here or your work mattered. Tell me what was happening or a time that you didn't feel like you mattered as much. And you get people to focus on incidents versus to focus on uh, telling you that you did something wrong, you know, and that that typically helps a lot. I will also say that if you're doing these regular check-ins, if you're asking better questions, if you're checking in with people regularly, if you're doing the noticing technique, no assessment should be a surprise. If an assessment result is a surprise to you, 
it should raise a little light bulb of, oh, we're not noticing people as much as we should at the leadership level. What about then from from the leadership level? If I'm getting data back that stings, that hurts me, that pains me, I've I've had conversations with school leaders who have done an employee experience type of an assessment. Their response was, well, I don't these people don't really know what they're talking about. How how do you get through? So I guess two different ways. One, myself, if I'm that kind of a person, there's an awareness that has to be there that I'm probably not open. But then two, if you're working with somebody else, how do you open up those doors just a little bit for the honesty to actually come through? That is a great question. And I'm not sure I have like the best answer, but I will say that I've heard I've heard that response that you just described, like they don't know what they're talking about. I've also heard the response, we've already done so much to improve communication. I don't understand why they don't see that. Well, they don't see it. I mean, you care about your people the moment they feel cared for by you. If you say we care for our people, but your people are indicating they don't feel cared for, you don't, you're not caring for your people. And I think that one of the things that we can reframe that data with is that uh, one, when you get data like that, you have to remember that it's a human being, a real human being who's living a life as vivid and complex and as important to your own, who's responding to that survey. This may be the only way to share part of themselves, which is their voice through a likered response. And really being able to see it that way is incredibly important. I would also say that um, it shouldn't be just up to you as a leader. Like, don't try to like take it all on that. Oh, I have to fix everything. Invite people in, like don't cling to authority, give up authority, invite people in Say, say to a group of people, invite some people that may have taken the survey, invite them in and saying, hey, I got these results back and I don't know what to do. Help me. What should I do? Um, and I think that is, is something that I would really recommend to people is to like give up authority, give up the, that you have to know the answers and invite people in. If you're banging your head against the wall and you're saying, oh, we did X, Y, and Z to improve communication, but it doesn't seem like it's working. Bring some people in and say, hey, we've done X, Y, and Z to improve communication, and it doesn't seem to be working. Help me. Um, and, and lots of times that can really dramatically change your relationship with people you lead. And also, it can actually just, it feels good as a leader to kind of get that burden off. For other people to share in your world too, saying, I don't have all the answers. I mean, anybody that is able to say to their staff, I don't know all the answers. I would really love to have your help. When people hear the word help, the human nature is that they're more likely to help if that person is asking for help. And knowing that whatever you've done so far has gotten you to the point where the assessment results are, <laughs> whatever they are, like there's some amount of, I think, understanding of that too. Even like, um, just like one of my favorite leadership techniques is saying exactly what you're thinking. And I know this sounds really um, not not good initially, but... Like if you're thinking to yourself, these people don't know what they're talking about, you can say sometimes, you know, you can say to your leadership team or other people that are helping you, you can say, sometimes I get these results and I feel like I, I just don't understand how people could feel that way here. You know, I don't understand, you know, how, why these results are coming through this way. Can, can you, can somebody please, can you please help me understand? Like help me understand how this could 
could happen and, and what I need to do to be able to see it more clearly. Um, and that takes obviously vulnerability, but again, it's, I think, giving up authority and inviting people in. Because I do see that in, in bureaucratic settings, like hospital settings, school settings, it seems like that, uh, that leader, like that chief nursing officer or that principal, I do, like, I just feel the burden. Like when I'm, when I'm talking with them, I feel like they, the burden of they need to have the answers and they need to fix all of this. And that overwhelm will inevitably result in defensiveness when you just don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, because you think about teaching, most administrators used to be teachers, and your job as a teacher is to instruct to teach others, which means inherently you are the one with the answers. So there are multitude of years of you being the one who gives the answers, go into a leadership position, that mindset oftentimes stays. It's kind of the, the, the educator, the hero paradox. I have to know the answers because I'm the leader when it doesn't have to be the case. Interesting. So I want to circle back quickly to, we, we were talking about students a little bit and student well-being and how they have to feel like they matter. And if they don't, oftentimes there are some extreme measures that they take. Is Should we, should we be thinking about teacher well-being and student well-being in kind of the same vein? How do we know if and when students maybe need some additional assistance because they don't feel like they're ma- they matter? And then what, what can we kind of do about that? I think it goes back to being attuned to those leading indicators for students as well. Thinking about that noticed, affirmed, and and needed model in the classroom environment. I mean, if you just look at that Education Week study, uh, you know, the fact that almost 33,000 people in that sample indicated they didn't think their teacher would notice if they were absent, you know, has profound effects on people. There's an existential cost to feeling forgotten. There was a a study done where the researchers had these college students. They would they came into this uh, room one week, and the teachers said, "Hey, we're glad you're here." They know them by their name, you know, and all of that. And then the next group, for some of them, they had the teacher or the researcher, you know, not remember their name and just tell them, you know, to get to work or say, "I can't remember your name." Like, what was your name? And uh, they measured sense of meaning in life after each interaction. And just being forgotten once decreased people's sense of meaning in their life, like sense of significance in their life. We know like there was a study done of over 1,100 people in Tennessee. And what they did was, this was really profound. They took blood samples, they took um, urine samples, and they were looking for biomarkers of chronic stress indicators. And these are things like, you know, high cortisol levels in the blood. And they um, they also had them rate how much they feel like they matter to the relationships, people around them. And people who experienced low levels of mattering had objectively higher, much higher objective st- chronic stress indicators in the bloodstream chemically. And so like when you when we think about this for students, when we think about a learning environment, um, one of the things that's incredibly important and you've probably talked about is self-efficacy and self-esteem. So self-efficacy, the belief that I can do this is a key predictor of learning. Self-esteem, the belief that I'm worthy, confidence in my worth is a key predictor of self-efficacy, right? The leading indicator of both of those is experiences of mattering, like getting the evidence of your significance from those around you. It's very difficult for someone to have the belief 
in their abilities if their environment doesn't remind them of their unique abilities. It's very difficult for people and students to care until they feel cared for. And you look at like Emmy Werner's, um, uh, she's a psychologist, and she did that study of every, in Hawaii, of every newborn on the island. And she, she studied them for over 40 years, from birth to 40 years on what contributes to resilience. The number one predictor of resilience was self-regard, high self-regard, positive orientation to um, life like around them. But then the second was having at least one person who deeply knew them, supported them, and regularly affirmed them as a mentor. Wow. Yeah, it goes back to words matter, intent matters, right? The taking the time to do these things, building your skill sets and being able to do these things well, that all matters. So I'm curious, Zach, when when organizations come to you for help, what what are they saying? What are they seeking? What are some outcomes that they hope to be able to improve because of their work with you? A lot of people say like, we've tried everything and nothing's working. People are still still leaving. We've done all the engagement stuff, leadership stuff, awards banquets, and nothing's working. Um, and then that's when I go, okay, what are the skills people have to ensure that things are working, <laughs> to ensure that people are engaged, people feel like they matter. And so some of the outcomes that I help people with is creating a teachable a set of skills that can be evaluated that fit into the context a development program that helps people who are responsible for anybody to learn, hone, and be evaluated on those skills to make sure people feel noticed, affirmed, and needed. A lot of what I do on the outset is raising the awareness that it isn't common practice. Because <laughs> a lot of people say, what do you mean? Like, I'm a superintendent, or I'm, I'm at this level. I, I got it. I've gotten here, obviously. You know, to which I say, do you know your FedEx driver's last name? You know, we, we, we have these little lapses of curiosity because we think we have it. But what happens is, is that, um, I think the best leaders hone and craft what it means to be human and how to be a good human to other people. And I I think that without the act of reflection on, am I doing this? And is this making it onto my to-do list? And is this a skill that can lead to those lapses of curiosity? brushing people aside, you know, rolling your eyes. If someone has an idea, those little things, you may care about people, but those little things actually create experiences of anti-mattering. Yeah. So then making that tangible, making that, that checklist, so to speak, not quite that simplistic, but this is what this looks like in action. Here's what we can actually do about it. Do you have any show resources that you'll provide people? Absolutely. Yes. I'll send a self-assessment people can take. So they can take a self-assessment that shows them the frequency at which they're doing the behaviors in the noticing, affirming, and needed model. And that will help you actually see where you, where you can focus as a result of this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that. And that'll be in the show notes. So Zach, what, what's next for you? What are you working on next? We are doing a study on the lived experience of mattering over the lifespan right now. Um, so we're interviewing people on how, when, and where the experience of mattering develops. Like it's things like think about the first time in your life when you felt like you mattered as a human, what was happening, Mm. doing that across cultures, across, you know, age groups, mostly adults. Uh, and we're then also doing, we just finished up a study of over 1500 employees on what leadership practices predict meaningfulness and mattering. 
So we assessed people's experiences with their leaders, but then we also assessed uh, their levels of motivation, levels of mattering, levels of meaningfulness across many different occupations. And that's going to be published soon. It's still in the peer review process, but there's a scale that's going to come out of that. It's called a practices for meaning diagnostic. Um, that could be really useful, evidence-based. And we're working on another a book on the science and practice of putting mattering first. Once I started digging into the, the science and the work on mattering, I can't really see it's hard. For, I, I, may, I may have some blinders on right now because I'm so deep into this. So I acknowledge that for all the audience members that like I can't, it's hard for me not, not to separate that most of our issues as a society, most of our mental health issues really come back to people feeling insignificant and competing with each other for significance and, 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 and those acts of desperation that result in feelings of, from feelings of invisibility. So a couple of, of finishing questions here. If you can go back and give yourself advice before you began your research on mattering, what would that advice be? My advice would be don't confuse common sense with common practice. Uh, the other advice I would say is that don't underestimate how much people need to feel valued. Because uh, oftentimes I think you can underestimate it. You can underestimate that, oh, you know, Eric feels valued. You know, he's doing this work, but does he? And does he consistently enough that he feels yeah. like he matters? Yeah. Right. Uh, what's one action or strategy you hope every leader walking away from this podcast implements in their building, implements in their district? What's that one action or strategy? I'm going to add a new one. <laughs> we didn't talk about it. It's five words. Uh, say to somebody today, if it wasn't for you, and then describe to them what they make possible for you in detail. You know, you could text somebody, do it for a family member, a friend to say, hey, if it wasn't for you, I just want you to know if it wasn't for you, this wouldn't be possible and watch what happens. And you'll see there's really few moments more powerful than when a human being has that realization that they matter. Again, I felt uplifted just hearing you talk about that. Yeah. Like if it wasn't for you, Eric, if some people wouldn't have the skills to show someone their impact. Uh, what's one celebration that you'd like to share with the audience? I am celebrating the fact that in 2022, in October, uh, the U.S. Surgeon General, America's top medical doctor named Mattering at Work, a key priority for improving the nation's mental health. So this is, this is coming from the nation's top medical doctor who, for the first time, has weighed in on what's happening in workplaces as a key to the nation's mental health. So that should signal to everybody that it's time to pay attention. And that's a celebration. Yeah, for sure. And final question, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way of them doing that? Well, you can email me. I'll give my email address, Zach at ZachMercurio.com. I would love to hear from you. Um, I love interacting with individuals. Um, the other thing is that I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and I, I have a great LinkedIn community. I'm at Zach Mercurio there. And then my website is ZachMercurio.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for all you're doing. I know you helped me feel like I matter today. And I know that your message is going to spread across schools in the US and beyond as well. So thank you for everything you're doing, Zach. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. If you haven't yet today, go thank an educator for all they're doing for us. This has been the Employee Experience and Education Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. Thanks and have a wonderful day. Thank you.